everybody this morning. Thank you, Troy, for that uh, time of worship. It was wonderful, and we really appreciate the time that you're giving here at Lighthouse Community Church. I know I speak for everybody when we say that we're glad to see you back and glad to see you uh, leading us in worship. It's a joyful experience, and we love you for that. So it's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, today's actually a, a first that I'm getting to experience, first time I've ever preached on my birthday. So that's, that's very uh, enjoyable, and what better way to spend our, my birthday than preaching God's Word to our people. That's a wonderful joy of mine to be able to do that. As you can see, I'm preaching the cost of following Christ, Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28, if you want to go ahead and turn to that. I'm going to read it uh, really, really quickly, and then we're going to get into the preaching portion. If you want to go ahead and stand whenever you reach that scripture. We'll read it and honor God's word. All right. Matthew 16, 24 through 28 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, Father, as we get ready to preach your word, listen to the preaching of the word, and as I get to stand here and preach these words that you have given us, I pray, Father, that our hearts will be upon what Jesus has said, and that we would see the truth that is revealed in these five verses. Let us count the cost of following Christ and Let's, let's count it as joy. Let's count it as, as the best experience of our life. It's a chance that we have to follow Christ, no matter the cost, no matter what it takes. Father, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would be over me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to see and to understand, to speak the words that need to be spoken this morning as I preach. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for all that you do. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Over 200 years ago was the establishment of our great country, the United States of America. And it was an establishment that was uh, different than most countries. The thing that characterizes America is that it was formed not by a bunch of leaders, not by a bunch of people who came in and conquered a nation and created a new nation. The defining characteristic of America is that we were formed on, a base, on the basis of ideas, ideas that govern us. We know this as the Bill of Rights and the U.S. Constitution. These are ideas that have sustained our country for over 200 years, and they're wonderful ideas. And that's something that distinguishes us from any other nation in the world 
is that we have been founded on these ideas. And some of those ideas include the freedom of press, the freedom of speech, the, the ability to uh, uh, do what we, to pursue what we want to pursue in life, as well as the divisions of government. Numerous different things have been established through those ideas, but one that I want us to realize that we are beneficiaries of this morning is the freedom of religion. The opportunity to come here, to worship, to gather, and not have to fear the possibility of being persecuted, the possibility of our, uh, our religion, our faith being persecuted by the government that we live under. And that's one of the great opportunities, the great things that we have in this country is the ability to gather and worship God that other people do not have in other countries. And we should be thankful for this opportunity. 1 Timothy 2.2 says that we should pray for our leaders so that, so that we might live peaceably, so that we might live in peace. So we should rejoice to our God that we have the opportunity to live in peace and to worship God as we see fit. That's a wonderful, wonderful truth. But if there's any negative to this truth, there's any negative to this freedom, is that we have we 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 lose the understanding that the first century Christians had of persecution. We lose the understanding that they had that when we are persecuted, we should rejoice because we get to share in our love for Christ and what he went through in his persecution on the cross. We lose the joy that we would have if we were persecuted. Now, I don't want to say that we should seek persecution, that we should seek to uh, be jailed or to be beaten or even to be killed. No, we should be thankful for the opportunities that we have and the freedom that we have in this country. But at the same time, there is a beautiful thing in realizing that persecutions can happen and that there is joy to be found in them. We see this all throughout Scripture, the first century Christians, and all throughout probably the next five to eight hundred years before Christianity was established as a national religion, is that there was joy in their persecutions. And these are beautiful things. And what I want us to understand and how I'm going to connect all that to what I'm going to be preaching this morning is that Jesus spoke about the persecutions that we would endure. He spoke about the fact that we would be persecuted and we would be we would be um, potentially killed potentially uh, jailed for our faith that's what I want our minds and our hearts to be focused on this morning as you look at verse 24 it says and Jesus told his disciples if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But he says, if anyone would come after me. This is included for all people throughout all times, all nations that will follow after Jesus. This includes us this morning. If anyone would follow after me. If anyone would come after me. What does he say? about people that come after him. It says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does it mean to deny ourselves? 
it means in this context, in this understanding, is that we deny our natural selves, who we naturally are. We understand by Scripture that all humans are fallen, all people have fallen in, in Adam. We are all fallen human beings. And because of this, we have desires that are against God, that are opposite of what God would desire of us. So Jesus is telling anybody that would come after him, that would follow after him, must deny those natural desires, those natural inclinations that we have to be sinful and to live in our natural selves. In other words, people that come after him must repent, must repent of their sins. We see all throughout Scripture that this idea of repentance, denying ourselves is, is foremost in the ideas of the apostles, of the disciples, the original disciples. Paul speaks all about it through his letters about denying our natural selves. And this is not to say that everything we do is evil, everything we do is bad, but it is to say that many things that we seek after are against God's will. And Jesus is telling us this morning to deny ourselves. And it says to take up his cross, take up our cross. Now to truly understand what this would have meant to these disciples that were following after Jesus, we have to put it in a little bit of context. Jesus is speaking right after uh, he rebuked Peter, right after he rebuked Peter. Peter was rebuking Jesus, so Jesus rebuked, rebuked Peter's rebuke. So there's that. Uh, and he's rebuking him because Jesus has been preaching this idea. It says in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus had been, been preaching to these people, had been preaching to his disciples that he must be killed. Now this has to be a very shocking message to hear. This man that we've been following for two years at this point is saying that I must go to Jerusalem and be killed. That is not an idea these disciples were joyful about. The idea that, that this, this man they were expecting to be a political messiah, to be one to, to go and overthrow the government, would have to be killed. So it's a very tough thing for them to understand. But just imagine their shock when he says, not only must I be killed, but you must take up your cross and follow me. Now the cross was an object of torture and death. It was used to, to, put, uh, to put criminals or political dissentists to death. It was used to torture them and to kill them. And now you have Jesus here telling his disciples that you have to take up this cross and follow me. Do exactly as I do. What does it mean to take up his cross, take up your cross? Well, if we look at Galatians 5.24, Paul talks about being crucified. We crucify our flesh and our sins. We crucify them and make them obedient to Christ. So in one sense... Taking up your cross can mean crucifying yourself, allowing your natural self and your natural ability and your natural uh, uh, desires to die, just as he was saying, and let him deny himself. You take up your cross, you deny yourself, you, 
crucify yourself. Yourself, your old self is dead and gone. You're a new creation. That's one sense that he could be speaking about. Another sense that he could be alluding to is a literal death and a literal torture. Now, many, many of the disciples would see this in fulfillment. They would be tortured and they would be killed as well. So this can mean a literal torture and death. And all this is at the cost of following Christ, following me. That's a tough thing to, to think about is that uh, a, a, this cost of following Jesus is potentially deadly. Let's imagine just for a minute what these disciples would have been thinking is that I could potentially die for following this man. That's a tough thing to imagine. That's a tough thing to understand is how they would be understanding this. So you must take up his cross and follow me. These next three verses, uh, verse 25, 26, and 27, you'll notice that they all begin with a four statement. And I heard a pastor or a uh, teacher say one time, if you see a four in Scripture, you should be asking, what is the four there for? Why is that four there? The four in these next three verses is pointing back to verse 24. These next three verses are going to be speaking about why should we follow Christ? Now, there is, has been a, how should I put this? Many pastors have been known to be uh, uh, hellfire and brimstone pastors. I know you've heard that term. The, the pastors that preach turn and burn, that try to scare you into, uh, into being a Christian. And I believe this is actually a wrong way to do it. I don't think that we should be scaring people into Christianity. I think that is wrong. And I also think that there's another side where hell is never preached. Nobody ever mentions hell. But I think there is a right way to look at it. And we must, for these next three verses, see that Jesus himself is preaching about hell. He's preaching about judgment. He's preaching about what a unrepentant human will experience at the end of our life. And so I want to declare this morning is that we cannot be scared to preach about hell because our Lord was not scared to preach about hell and the dangers of not following Christ. See, these next four verse, next three verses say, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For whoever would lose his life will, whoever would save his life will lose it. What do we mean here? Whoever would save his life would lose it. We're not talking about life on earth. We're not talking about the life that we live currently. We're talking about an eternal life, the eternal life. If you will save your life on this earth, you will lose your life in the next life. And he also says that whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's not forget that it is for Christ's sake. 
We must lose our life for the sake of Christ in order to find it. Now I want us to know that our ultimate joy is in Jesus, but we, we can rejoice in what he is saying here is that the ultimate penalty of unrepentance and the ultimate penalty of seeking anything other than Jesus is punishment for our sins. Let's be reminded that all sin will be punished. Those of us who know Christ, our sin is punished by Christ for our redemption. He continues on, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Does he mean here that we gain the entire world, we gain everything? Nobody has ever gained the whole world, so nobody loses their soul, right? That's what he says here, for whoever, profit, whoever would gain the whole world would forfeit his soul. Obviously, that's not what he's speaking about here. What he's speaking about is people that seek and that desire only worldly things, who seek prestige, who seek material possessions, who seek nothing but these. And I don't want to say that worldly things are bad. Material possessions are not bad. Uh, desiring to be a leader is not a bad thing. Desiring prestige is not necessarily a bad thing. What we are looking at here is a desire that is completely set upon these things, that's set upon worldly things, that's set upon this life. He who would seek after these, what will it profit him if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Many people get so caught up in the materialistic possessions that they lose sight of Jesus, and it ends up in forfeiting their soul for eternity. What shall a man give in return for his soul? The answer to that question is, is there's nothing that a man can give in return for his soul. Once it's lost, it is gone. For the Son of Man is coming with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus here is speaking about the second coming when he will come and with his angels in the glory of his Father and repay each person according to what they have done. And when we hear this, it's easy to fret over it because we think if he's going to repay us for what we have done, we have done a lot of bad things. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just speaking for me here, but if I am being judged according to what I have done in this life, that's a judgment that I'm not going to win. It's easy to fret over that and say, we're doomed, we have... No hope. But what I want us to understand is that according to what He has done, according to what we have done, is if we rest in Jesus, we are going to be judged according to what He has done. We are one with Christ when we trust in faith in our Lord Jesus. We're going to be judged according to what Christ has done. His perfect life, His death, for our sins and his resurrection. But what will the man who is, in, who is not repentant, what will he be judged for? He'll be judged for his sin. What is the result of that judgment? It is hell. We know this. 
Most of us understand this. But we have a great joy in our God, our Lord Jesus, that we do not have to experience this. Now, I know that this message can be a bit of a, a downer if you let it, to be, let it be. But I want to point us forward to the cross to see what Christ has done, to see that he has given us new life. And all that it takes is following Jesus, following after Jesus, trusting in Him in faith, denying ourselves, taking up the cross, and following Him. And we will receive according to what we have done. And what we have done is trusted in Jesus. See, the ultimate judgment is not going to be about what you have done in reality. It's not going to be about your individual sins. All those sins condemn us to hell the main portion and in the final analysis what is going to matter is what you did with Jesus. Did we trust in Jesus or did we not? That is the main point of it. And there is a cost to following Christ. That cost can be persecutions. That cost could even be death. But I want us to understand it doesn't necessarily have to be death. It doesn't necessarily have to be being thrown in jail for our faith. It doesn't necessarily have to be these things. There are many instances, and we don't have to look far in America to see that many people are being persecuted for their faith. But it's not even persecution that we have to look at. The everyday trials that we endure, the everyday struggles that we have, or opportunities to be joyful. I know that's a tough thing to think about, to consider as an opportunity to be joyful for the experience of our sufferings because we get to, to share in what Christ has endured on the cross. How great the opportunities that we have to be persecuted or to suffer. And we should be, we should be joyful in those persecutions in those sufferings in our life but we should also be joyful in the peaceful times as I began this message about the United States and what we have in this country we should be joyful that we have freedoms and that we have peace the past 200 years have been some of the most peaceful in human history since the fall of Adam and Eve that doesn't mean that we haven't had struggles in our country. It doesn't mean we haven't had struggles in the world. There's been tremendous war and tremendous uh, evil things that have occurred. But let us be thankful to our God that we have peace. But also let us rejoice in our sufferings. Now I was considering verse 28 seems to be kind of disconnected from the rest of these verses. I was considering if I should even address it before you. But I feel like it's important because this is actually a verse that many people will point to to try to, to uh, discredit Jesus, to discredit what he is saying. I want you to pay attention to it. And, let me, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Verse 28, Truly I say to you, there is some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. 
many people make the assumption that Jesus is talking here about the second coming. That's an assumption that many people like to make about this verse, is that Christ is referring here about what he actually just spoke about in the last three verses, the second coming. And many people say, well, since the second coming has not happened, Jesus didn't, has not returned, and all these people are surely dead. It's been 2,000 years. That Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. Or Jesus is not who he says he was. I want to say to us, brothers and sisters, that that is false. In these verses, Jesus does not speak specifically about the second coming. And nowhere in this verse is he speaking about his ultimate judgment when he comes back. So what can Christ mean here? What can he mean? Many people have taken, uh, undertaken a task to try to figure out what Jesus can be saying in this, in, this, in this verse. Could he be speaking about the transfiguration which comes immediately after this? Could he be speaking about his death, burial, and resurrection? Could he be speaking about the ascension? Could he be speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit? Well, in my research and in my seeking to understand this more, it seems to me and it occurs to me that, that Jesus isn't talking about any single event. Surely these people, some of these people would be alive who saw the transfiguration. Surely some of them would be alive who saw his death, burial, and resurrection. Surely some of them would be alive who saw the coming of the Holy Spirit. I believe this is a, 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 a more than just one event. I believe it's a, a series of events where we see the coming of his kingdom. And I believe it will culminate in the second coming. I believe that is very clear in here is that he is not speaking about one event. And I wanted to give that to you because many people try to dissuade or try to say that Christ is not who he says he was through this one verse. And I believe it's important that we are able to defend our faith and to know what we believe. Especially when we come across the tough verses and the tough sayings in Scripture. And to kind of sum up this message, I want to point us back to verse 24. It says in verse 24, Deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. Tough truths that we, we have to realize. These, these three imperatives that Christ gives us for following him, him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Taking up your cross will look different to certain people. For some, it's martyrdom. For some, it's self-sacrifice. For some, it's servitude. For some, it is dying to ourselves in a figurative fashion where we are no longer who we once were. Completely different. That was me. I am no longer who I once was. Everybody experiences that to some extent. But this morning, I want to encourage us as we go out this week is I want to encourage us to deny ourselves, deny our sinfulness, deny our fleshly being, and then to take up our cross to realize that persecutions are a joyful event, even if they're tough to endure, because we share in what our God 
what our Lord, what our Savior has done for us. And then most importantly, I want us to follow Christ. That is the crux of this passage. You can deny yourself, you can take up your cross, but if you're following another God, if you're following uh, another being that is not Jesus, it's irrelevant, it means nothing. Follow after Christ, let our hearts be on this. And I know most of us in here are Christians. We already do this on a daily basis. But I want us to be encouraged to continue to see how we can deny ourselves, take up our cross,